Is your game getting you down? Is it time you enjoyed better golf? How about a full day clinic at the GUI National Golf Academy? Less than two hours from Belfast, the Academy is the perfect getaway for you and your friends. With clinics starting at 95 euro, now is the time to experience better golf. Find out more and book online at bettergolf.ie. Good morning, good afternoon and good evening to wherever you may be listening to the NI Golf Channel podcast, episode 87. And the good news is I've been joined again today by the hoodie-loving <laughs> Sky Sports producer and reporter, <laughs> Emma Self. And I can't actually believe we're talking about <laughs> golf attire at all in 2020. Um, for the record, I don't own a hoodie. I really don't care okay. what anybody else wears on a golf course. In fact, to be honest with you, Emma, I really don't pay attention to what anybody else is wearing on a golf course. So for mm-hmm. me, as long as you rock up, play by the rules, remember the etiquette of the game, you can play in your jammies for all I care. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? Are you? A, I know you're a hoodie lover, but it was nonsense, wasn't it? <laughs> where, do you know where? Do you know where this reputation has come from? Well, one of my prized possessions, I have to say, PK, is a. Pebble Beach hoodie that I bought um, on site 2010, but I I did buy a child size, a a big children in America, a bit bigger, but a child size because they're really expensive. (laughs) So it wasn't saving me any money buying the hoodie, I have to say. (laughs) But no, like like you say, though, come on, we're we're talking about a hoodie on a on a golf course, and I think, like you say, the, the important thing about golf is the etiquette and tradition. But I think the problem comes in that some people just cannot separate the clothing side of it out of the etiquette. For them, the etiquette is about what you wear as well. And you must follow tradition, even though golf has obviously got a wee bit of catching up to do in a lot of areas still. I think this is an easy win. This is an easy win, guys. Let's just let people wear what they want. You want the young people in. You, the game is meant to be for 8 to 80. I mean, at least half of them are going to be wearing you know, casual sportswear. I mean, you can still look smart, can't you? It's not It's not yeah. one or the other. Yeah. So I don't really see the problem at all. But my, and, and also, well, there was there was several hoodie sightings, shall we say, over <laughs> over, the, over the week. But, but uh, yeah, Tyrrell seemed to have caused a little bit more chat than Danielle Kang, certainly. But it's, um yeah, it's, I don't know, like you say. I mean, I, to be honest, what do I think about seeing you play in your pyjamas? That would be interesting. That would be something yeah, thanks very for much. the cards to be come back for. <laughs> yeah, silk, they're silk. <laughs> oh, well, they're, they're, you know, you're, you've got to don't, don't, keep us guessing a wee bit, I can't give it all away. Sure, we've got more to talk about, Cyril, coming up, haven't we? But, uh, but. Also in this episode, we're going to have a wee look back at the Women's PGA Championship where there was success for Say Young Kim. Um, and yes, glory for Tyrrell Hoodie Hatton, as um, yes, as we were mentioning already. Now, Paul, you've been chatting also to the ILGU High Performance Manager, David Kearney, who is leaving his role after almost 20 years. That is a long time, isn't it, to be yeah. dragging yourself away after that must be hard, I'd mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. And what else are we going to chat about? Handicaps, because the World Handicap System will be implemented from the 1st of November. So um, let's hope everybody's ready. Are you ready, PK? No. 
milk. Well, that ex- <laughs> in a word. Wait till we talk about it. You need them. Okay, it's meant to be simple, but so far I can't get my head around it. Anyway, <laughs> if you're involved in coaching at any level, please listen to the interview I did with David. Um, he has some really interesting ideas based on nearly 20 years in post. Um, since we were last in the, on, since we were last on our podcast, actually, mm-hmm. the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open was hosted at Galgorm Castle. And many of the so-called experts mm-hmm. expected the players to go really low, shoot the lights out. But in the end up, it was an American, John Catlin, who won on 10 under par. And he had to fire final round 66, 64, I think, yeah, to edge out Aaron Ray. Mm-hmm. But obviously, Emma, the only thing anybody really wants to talk about is Billy Cain, the farmer. Now, you were over in Sky Sports Lab. <laughs> And I presume you were sitting looking at the clips coming in and you sat back and thought, that's just about bloody right, Gulf in Northern Ireland. And that's a form of the film. <laughs> there, was, there was an element of that, but I think he became a social media sensation more than anything. I think uh, I think the European tour had actually clipped it up before Sky Sports even even did. And the, uh, you know, the puns that were coming, it was, oh, uh, it it was, was definitely... Definitely worth it. Although I would dispute that. I don't know. Do you call them cars? They look. They didn't look female to me. I'm not sure. Do you still call them cars? Do you call them bullocks? Do you call them? But I. I don't know. But I, either way, at least there was somebody else there able to able to catch sight of it because it was a great event, wasn't it? It was. It was, was great. A great event. It went really, really well. Now on the downside, um, and I blame you for this because I was obviously doing very well <laughs> with terms of tipping because I did tip Shane Laurie to win the Open Championship, but we both tipped mm. our tips performed quite pathetically I went with Ryan Fox missed the cut and you went with Hugo Garrick who also missed the cut yes Garrick not a good start he did did miss the cut although I have to say at the end of round one I thought I thought I had it because he was top 10 first day and I thought oh look there's me Ryan Fox all down there at the bottom of the leaderboard and smug did I feel and yeah yeah, that was short lived wasn't it frankly but but I have to get in fairness you did you did actually flag up John Catlin as well I'm going to give give you your dues there because you did you did mention him and yeah he he was exceptional really he was yeah it was a good tournament and I think don't know long term what that means for Galgorm Castle and, and hosting the future Irish Opens but the event went very smoothly. Everything went well. The the venue held up very well. The greens were truly wonderful. And um, I think it, 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 it hats off to everybody at Galgorn because they took it at short notice Absolutely. and put on a good show. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we were saying before that they've, they've held the champion uh, the Champions Tour event and that's been a fantastic success. Yeah. Um, but to, to actually, and, and so they were in a good place to, to do this from some positions, but also, you know, that takes it out of the course, having an event like that mm-hmm. as well. And they, like you say, the, the condition they had it in was fantastic. I think um, it looked magnificent. It looks great on, on TV. It will have, you know, some people might have questioned it being held there rather than any of the other potential right. venues in Northern Ireland but I think like you say it held, it more than held its own it looked great and all, all the players were very complimentary as well and you know there was there was nothing negative about it at all I would I would say it was very positive as you say you know what, what the future in this particular event would be for it remains to be seen but it uh, you know it was a great venue for the event happening in 2020 and it was um, it was a grand success really mm-hmm. worked well it did, it did, and it, well, it was exciting, you know, with Fry being being edged out at the end, as you say, and 
he obviously missed out at Galgorn, but then he bounced back very quickly to beat Tommy Fleetwood uh, in a playoff at the Scottish Open. And then, of course, the whole, well, some, some slightly dubious building, it might just gloss over on Tommy's behalf there, but, but Aaron was, was in form and, you know, that yeah. playoff was, was pressure itself. And it was, he delivered. Yeah. Um, but yes, and then, of course, the whole golfing European Tour Circus went on to Wentworth for the BMW PGA Championship. One in some style, both fashionable and uh, golfing, by Tyrrell Hatton. And our own Shane Laurie was leading after 36 holes. But of course, he had a wee fall away over the weekend, which was disappointing after we'd mm-hmm. seen him sort of bounce back from Galgorm as yeah, well. So and well. a long week in the Open. He did play so well. And then it was the Saturday that just seemed to finish him off. But finishing in a tie overall for 13th is still um, pretty respectable, given, given, uh, given this Saturday that he had yeah. and then old G-Mac was back closing with his best round of the week a 67 I think mm-hmm. to yeah. finish for 24th so encouraging signs there for yeah. G-Mac as well to be honest yeah and of course, that win has meant that Mr. Hatton has moved inside the world's top 10 for the first time, which is pretty much testament to what a player he is, I would say. He is. He's, he's, he's a very, <laughs> very good player, but he does seem to polarize yeah. opinion. People, you know, he's one of those people because of some of his on course antics that people sort of take an allergy to. But, and you know, he. he and you can understand that. Some of it is petulant, and he's not as bad as he was. But it, he never exactly. gives off to anybody. He, he's always given off to himself, and I actually find it quite funny. I, do you know, I agree with you. That's such a good point, because he, he just wears his heart on his sleeve a bit. It's yes. not not like you say, you know, the happy, you know, destroying that tea box and yeah. all the other bits he may have done. The rest of it is almost, it's just his thoughts out loud. You know, <laughs> most of the funny. time he's just having, do you know, it is. It's like just see, because yeah. if you could see inside of all the rest of their heads, they'd all be saying that kind Something, of stuff. Yeah. Just to, he's, he's not the golfing robot that the psychologists have managed to train around right. him to just come out of his mouth. So, so it is. He, he's had a great run lately. He's playing some lovely golf. He seems he got well, won mm. the bet, won, won over Bell. Um, he's he's yeah. in the top ten deservedly. He, he looks like a nailed on for the right a cup. Things go well, and he, you know he's he's a he's a good competitive golfer who can put well. Great putter, and he, he looks great like he, he looks like he's really hitting hitting good form. And you know, let's be honest, would would Augusta be too too long for him? Is Augusta going to be out of his reach? I don't think so. I don't think so. And particularly, you know, it'll be interesting anyway to see how Augusta's going to play at that time of year, as we know. But, you know, November weather, even in that part of America, is going to be very different. And it, it probably won't be, you know, it won't be as dry. It won't be quite as firm. I mean, it will be. It's, you know, it's not going to be a soggy, a, a no. soggy little. No, uh, it's not going to be a bug. Local. Uh, no, by no means will it be that. But, you know, that that might help him help him out a little bit as well because not everybody you know the people who bang it along as previously discussed aren't going to get quite the same amount of points and mm-hmm. things so you never know that might work in his favour and he's a heck of a shot maker you know yeah. and what what do you need in Augusta you need yeah. to be able to, to play the shots under pressure your, exactly and he's proven increasingly that he can do that and on both tours and amongst the best of them. So, yeah. you know, he, that's going to go with his confidence, which, as we know, the, the bit between the ears is um, particularly yeah. important if you're going to challenge for majors, isn't it? So it, it it'll be, be interesting major. to see come the time what his, what his odds are. 
know, I yes. think it could be good value. Because maybe we should get in there quick. <laughs> not you, not he'll not want you to tip him anyway. Not with your track record. No, no, I was going to say I've lost too much already on the. On the <laughs> anyway, over in the states, Martin Laird claimed his fourth PGA Tour title with a playoff win over Matthew Wolf, Wolf and uh, Austin Cook at the Shriners Hospitals for Children Open. And amazingly, Big Bryson, he didn't win. The world hasn't ended, and we're not all talking about rolling back the ball and taking the drivers off. And so, you know, as we said the last time, let's all just take a wee breath. But well, yeah, like you say, though, it's not like he blasted his way to another victory instantly. So I think he's he's already saying he's going to go away and hit what three thousand golf balls. Two thousand. I can't remember what the yeah. number was before yeah. the Masters. So maybe he'll tear himself out. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> But uh, stay, if we stay in the US and talk a little bit more about that and Darren Clark, uh, he was leading after two rounds at SAS Championship over on the Champions Tour. Um, he slipped down the field, unfortunately. Seems to be a slightly common Irish theme at the moment, but yeah, there we are. Yeah, uh, still t- tied for 11th, though. So again, you know, not disappearing. Um, and Ernie Els, of course, won that one. And then Say Young Kim cruised to her first major win at the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Uh, the South Korean fired 7 under par 63, which was just magnificent, oh, yes. to win by 5. It was delightful to watch, basically. Yeah. Um, but local, again, after a decent start, Leona Maguire posted rounds of 76 and 74. So she ended up 65th place. I think she was around the 20s, maybe, at yeah. the, at the thought, cut yeah. point. So, yeah. Yeah. Which was, you know, it's, so that that's a bit of a shame. But, you know, it's still a respectable performance. You know, making the cut with a major is going to be good for her, where, unfortunately, Stephanie Meadow didn't actually make the cut. Yeah. Missed it by one, and her it was her first round. Did her wasn't it? Because right. she had she had a, a decent decent second round, but just just missed it. But but we need maybe to mention uh, say Young Kim because wasn't that a performance? Yes. Well, it's it's one thing it really was. winning your first major, but it's another thing to do it. Mm. You know, and and firing a bogey free round like that. You know, she just she didn't yeah. just she didn't just win it. She run away with it. She just and never looked like making a mistake. No, and her shot making was was incredible. Her course management was brilliant. She knew exactly where she was wanting to put the ball on every hole, and it was going there, even even under the pressure of because there was you know there was pressure pressure applied, wasn't there? You know, Indy was making a bit of a charge. That's right. But she stuck stuck to her game. It was it was like. You know, there was nothing else going on in the world. She was just focused and she just totally in the zone, like you say, yeah. And she just stuck to her game plan and boy, did she pull it off. And setting records and equaling other records. And we don't have time to list them all, but what a, you know, what what a final round and um, what a way to win, yeah, your first major. And pretty sure it won't be your last, <laughs> having yeah. seen that before. Yeah, it's just, just been close a couple of times before, but um, that could mm-hmm. be a big a big breakthrough for her there, so it could be, you know. Interesting, yeah. it was interesting just to see how she did it and how she took a place apart. And, you know, I wonder is that the sort of template that somebody like Leona needs to look at because... She's not a massive hitter, so you don't care. She's, just, mm. she's not one of the big hitters on the on the LPGA tour. She's 
you know, gets it out there. But she just, it was pretty methodical and clinical the way she did it. Mm. She put it beautifully, obviously. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was definitely a, a very interesting and, and interesting to watch her sort of, as you say, plot her way around and mm. take her chances when yeah. it came. So it was, it was good. It was interesting. Anyway, uh, yeah. the action is continuing in pro-golf world, as always. The tours move on. Uh, on the PGA mm. Tour, the CJ Cup has attracted a high-class field. Uh, young Mr. McElroy is back in action. On low, latest news, just this evening, uh, Mr. Dustin Johnson out with covid so yep. he's out. He's taking a break. On the European tour, it's a Scottish Championship. Uh, I think Lee Westwood's up there, and a few of the others up there as well. Park Harrington's playing. And on the Euro Pro Tour, it's final qualifying, which takes place this week at Studley Wood Golf Club. I think that's a great name, Studley Wood. And the Oxfordshire, <laughs> uh, amongst the players in action, are Tom McKibben, our amateur from Hollywood. Tom McKibben, he made it through first stage. So he's playing. He's playing alongside Paul McBride, John Hickey, Brett McCarl, Daniel Brennan, Conor O'Rourke, Cameron Raymond, and Luke Donnelly. They're all trying to pick up a card for next season. Uh, the Euro Pro Tour was one of the tours that stopped during the COVID crisis. So a lot of those guys haven't yeah. had an awful lot of golf, unfortunately. So it'd be a welcome chance for them. And also today, I believe in the world of um, pro golf, the Solheim Cup was announced for Spain. Isn't that right? Yes, so 2023, we will be heading to Spain, which is very exciting. And it's it's lovely to go back to Spain for for lots of reasons, but particularly, you know, like people like Carlotta's Canada, you know, playing really well at the moment. And for for the home, I will call it the home, uh, Solheim Cup, even though we won't technically be part of Europe, etc. Crying, (laughs) let's not discuss that. Um, it, it's great. It's great to have it go back to Spain. It's yeah. really, really exciting news. Um, have you, obviously, have you ever, we've got yeah. some um, amateur news as well, have we not? That's right, yes. Um, so we've had uh, the final um, the final of the Irish, uh, the Men's Irish Coast Championship at Rosapena. Um, and it was one, you know, they were very tight going into the final. And then <laughs> A1, A1 by 10 shots. Yeah, a few yeah. Brilliant. That's some some play by Hugh Foley. And then uh, with that victory, he's also snatched up the third place available on the, sorry, the third place on the Bridgestone Order of Merit table. And that means a place in Golf Ireland's first men's high performance panel, which is fantastic for 2021. And I saw him being interviewed and until he was interviewed, I don't know if you saw this, um, he didn't actually realise that. He thought that he hadn't played well enough previously and he hadn't yeah. made it. So that yeah. was um, that was a lovely, lovely surprise for him. It was excellent. And of course, the Bridgestone series was won by Alan Fai, who's, excuse me, who's four top 10 results from four events. Like that is con- Mr. Consistency yeah. right there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, edged Mark Barter into second place. So both of them will, of course, join Foley on next year's high performance panel. And I'm sure there's a lot more from the three of them to come. Yeah, I think so. Um, right, so talking about amateur golf, and on November the 2nd, they kind of snuck up on us, and um, the new World Handicap yeah. will be implemented across Ireland. And that's going to mean some changes. So if you're a club member, the type of person who plays regularly, uh, really mm-hmm. you need to find out about this. Don't leave this until next year because your, your head will be fried. Um, you should be getting some info from your handicap committee. Uh, please check out GolfNet. So it's going to take some getting used to. Now, you don't play, you don't have an official handicap at the minute, Emma, do you? 
No, no, I don't, and I'm not a club member at the moment at either. The same time, so, what was what was when you played? Uh, did you did you ever have an official handicap? No, I have never had an official you're handicap. Liar, so you're nobody, a liar. nobody, nobody knows just how bad I was. So that's that <laughs> one. Yes, but it, it all the oh, I'm buying into the publicity. I'm buying into the fact that this might be a way in for me to get a it handicap because I do like, it, like yeah. the idea. of of playing at other courses and all those things, which is meant to, you know, yeah, make, um, yeah, right. make, make exactly ease off. So it, it will possibly be easier for me because I don't have the adjustment to make because I can That's totally right. understand how when you're used to one way of doing something. And I, I would argue that this isn't the case of that, oh, we need to modernize. You know, it's not that argument. It's just globalizing. So it's a different, a different thing. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't begrudge anybody who feels a bit, what on earth is happening with this? Because, right, um, Emma. But uh, well, yeah. So I think we should probably get into you speaking down, uh, to David Kearney now, really. So after twenty years, nearly in high performance golf for the ILGU, David Kearney will step down at the end of the year as Golf Ireland will be taking over the reins. The high performance manager has overseen a sea of change at the elite level in Ireland. And he's developed a system that's produced the likes of Leona Maguire and Stephanie Meadow, as well as Olivia Mahaffey. I'm surprised they put up with me for that long, Paul, to be honest <laughs> with you. So, uh, uh, it, it, look at it was. I've been there, I suppose, you know, I'm 48 now. I got the job when I was 29 years old. So, and, and in one guise or another, there's, there's, there's been so many good memories and so many good people I've worked with and players and parents that... I think you kind of, I'm a voracious reader, Paul, and, and one lady I love reading her stuff is a girl called Elizabeth. She's no longer with us, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about fitting ends to, and timings to relationships and how we bring them to a close and how the, the ability to bring them to a close correctly sometimes can, can um, influence the memories of the relationship. And I think that was the important point for me was to feel that the fact of the matter, Paul, on, on, with the exciting news that Golf Ireland is coming on stream on the 1st of January, the fact of the matter, Paul, is that the Irish Ladies Golf Union will not need a high-performance manager from the 1st of January. It's a, it's a totally different setup. So That's right. I took a decision probably through the summer. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've done a lot. We've brought a world amateur to, to, to these shores. We've, we've meddled at the world amateur from the performance perspective, from the participation perspective we've experienced. Uh, a depth in quality that's risen in terms of in Port Stewart, I think 2007, I think the average handicap on our, uh, it could have been 2010. Now I can't remember the year, but the average handicap I remember was um, five on the, with the exception of one player who's very low on the uh, girls home internationals team. And right now you probably wouldn't be looking at a girls at home international team if you're any higher than one or two. So mm-hmm. it's been really interesting. And yeah, the time's right to let golf Ireland do the thing now and, There'll be a new corporate structure there. There'll be a new culture. Uh, and the, the men and the women, the boys and girls, will get much more uh, together in terms of having a program behind them. So I'm excited and wish them the best of luck for that. Mm. And, and culture is, is an interesting one because one of the things we've noticed, even on the podcast over the last number of years, is just how well-rounded a lot of the girls are when they get to this elite level. Um, they're good talkers. They're able to um, express themselves articulately. And how much of a, a whole um, sort of holistic approach has the performance team taken over the last few years? Is that all part of it? Not just the golf, the person? It's huge. I think in 2013, we made a decision to reinvent ourselves. And 
and um, introduce some new coaches to the uh, um, to the team in terms of giving the girls more more access to different ideas and, and, and different people. And um, so we ended up with with a suite of excellent people: Leanne Leanne Sharp from Jordanstown, uh, Johnny Foster, uh, who you'll know well up that part of the world, uh, Chris Jelly, of course, the great the great gels from from Port of Down. Don Scott, uh, Michelle Carroll, uh, Sharon Morris and Robbie Cannon. So everybody kind of, Donald and Chris were kind of with us because they were doing a bit of work for me. Um, and I'm just actually writing a piece on this at the moment. And the funny thing was, uh, a guy called Jim Collins wrote a great book called From Good to Great. And, and one of the quotes in the book was about getting the right people on the bus. Um, and how if you've got a team like that and you can move in the right direction, uh, it's amazing because even if the, book, the, the bus changes direction, the team are still okay to keep going. And we, we looked at the, those hires from a perspective of, I remember my colleague Gillian O'Leary at the time would be very clever in this space. Um, we looked at the hires more, less from a point of who allegedly was the best coach, Paul, and more from who could get behind these girls, who could actually you know, be in touch with them, who could motivate them, who could talk to them, and who could deal with them. And I think that was, the, that was probably a big change in point in terms of supporting the girls more in their games. And then you're dealing with girls that, generally speaking, the culture behind the Irish ladies' uh, setup would be looking at people like starting now with, you know, you're looking at Danielle or, or a Chloe Ryan or a Paula Grant, Paula Kilmer for saying she's one of the older girls, but she is now. Um, but these guys all, these girls go all in college and all get very good degrees. And basically, yeah. they created that stance that basically any of the girls coming through and the culture, I suppose, at home would be school comes first. Because if we look at our uh, timeline over the last 20 years we had three girls make the cut in the major last month in, in California but we've three girls so basically that's on average one girl every seven years if you want to look at it like that so a lot of the parents I'm dealing with now understand and realize that you know the golf is something that they want to go on and they want to achieve and they want to excel at but like we're very straightforward in terms of like you know looking at the very very best players and if you look at the three girls that made um, the cut in the major, Lisa, uh, sorry, Leona, uh, Steph, and and Olivia. The fact of the matter was they were destined for this type of stuff from very young, Paul. And I think that appreciative of that as well. That the late specialiser, uh, the late bloomer, the person that does take it up late and becomes uh, really goes to that level is an outlier. You know, your Ricky Fowlers, your your no uh, players like that. They're, they're outliers. Normally, the normal person that takes that track has taken that track from very young so to answer your question yeah the culture of education of how we deal with each other how we deal with people how we deal on the road representing Ireland how we speak to people behind the reception at the hotel uh, how we behave how we speak to other teams that's been hugely important and that's something that definitely comes from the top down in terms of our former chief executive Sinead Herity and our board like they, they wouldn't be that impressed if we were if we were acting the pup away on a trip and, and I most certainly wouldn't be either. So I think mm. we're all kind of responsible for that collectively. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned the three girls making the cut at the, mm. the major, which, you know, uh, at the time I, I, I sort of explained, I said publicly on Twitter that, the, you know, is this one of those watershed moments? What do you view it as? Is it, will we look back in 15 years from now and say that was the moment that Irish golf put somebody at the highest level and we were able to build from that. Yeah, I think there's been a big year because I think that if you look at it right now, you've got Leona and Steph who are out there competing, uh, generally um, making way more cuts than they're missing. They're in the mix. They're learning their trade. They're both 
Uh, they're both young enough to have their best years ahead of them. You've got Olivia coming, coming pretty hot on their heels in terms of the level of golf and the quality of golf she's playing. Uh, incidentally, she made the cut at, at, um, uh, in California with what she described to me, Paul, as her D game. So not even playing that well in her own eyes at the moment. So, and, and now it's a given. Now I'm checking the newspaper or the websites to see how the girls are getting on in the States. Uh, newspapers was probably me years ago, websites now. But I go in on Thursday evening and just check and see how they started. And it, it's now, in my mindset, it's now a given that I'm checking to see how they're doing as opposed to celebrating the fact that one of them is playing the event. So the next stage, obviously, is only a matter of time before one of them gets into real contention. I think that's where the excitement will kick off. So, um, yeah, I, I see it as the norm now, but those two girls in particular and, and Olivia as well, like, I suppose I've been in the, I've got a front seat view of this since 2000, probably in Steph's case, 2003, 2004. Uh, and in, in, in um, the Twins, uh, Lisa and Leona started with us probably 2008 and then Olivia wasn't there that far after as well. So, you know, we've watched them and how hard they've worked and probably how much their families have sacrificed to get them to where they've got to as well because it's been a real team effort for those families. Yeah, no, there's been um, a lot of work done below that level of the highest, the very elite level. Um, but in terms of the year that we've just had and the COVID restrictions and the fact that the ILG made a decision very early to sort of not worry so much about championships around some scratch events, but, uh, you know, they made that decision early. How big an impact negatively or positively could this have, David, going forward for developing the next level of player? Well, I think the decision was, for me, uh, dealing with the, our board and the CEO at the time, the decision was only as good as to, to the way we responded to the decision. So from our perspective, we could make that decision as long as we were subsequently um, empowered to follow up and keep panels as they were, give people the opportunity next year that they missed this year. So for me, it would have been a poor decision if we had, if we had gone and then changed everything around because the girls weren't in control of the golf in terms of a lot of our data would tell us that they're playing excellent golf at home in their home club. Um, but they're not getting out to play and they're not getting out to compete. So what we decided to do was to put a really steady hand on the tiller and say, let's just calm down for a while. This is things are, some things are bigger than golf. Uh, we've had, we, we've had some families there that have, have had vulnerable others living with them. We've had obviously like us all, myself included, we've had uh, parents that are, are just trying to keep the show on the road financially. We've had all sorts of situations. So we made a decision in the greater scheme of things to hit the pause button, give everybody the same opportunity over the winter, which we've done, and basically then add some more people into our under-17 performance development panel and essentially try, because we're small, it's good, we can do it, give everybody the opportunity uh, to go back training and hopefully this thing will get to a point where we'll be able to go and compete again. So I think with the fact that we made that decision early helped us manage our way through the winter and um, the, the most important thing for us has always, to be, uh, has always been to keep the players safe in a psychologically safe space where they feel like the union is behind them and supporting them, not running their program, not making decisions for them, but most certainly trying to, to champion their talent and help them as opposed to uh, be in a space that might be judgmental in terms of, you know, you're playing well, you're playing badly. That's not our job. Our job is not to judge that. The player's own individual job is to judge where they are and what steps they need to take. Our job is to support every individual player at, the, at, at certain times in their career. You mentioned some of the sacrifices the parents have made over the years for these people as they're giving up. And that, that's, you know, let's be honest, 
even even the fact that some of these kids playing in championships get driven around the country every year is a big a big thing for parents. But from your point of view, managing the parents, managing expectations, managing um, how the kids themselves are, are doing their work away from 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 your site and the, the coaches' site, how's that developed over the years? Or how, you know, what are the what are the difficulties of that? I'm a lot better at it now, Paul, than I was 20 years ago, I can tell you that, you know, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was too young myself then probably. To, uh, I, wasn't, yeah. definitely, I definitely wasn't a parent. Um, I think the interesting thing for me is that what's helped me is being objective, you know, dealing with the information and dealing with the, um, as I said, the bit that we can support with. I mean, look at, for me to say that such and such a parent is a headbanger, like that's completely subjective. Yeah. It's just a judgment on my behalf. And I've tried in the last five or six years to keep away from that form of judgment because that parent actually, unless there's something clinically wrong, is trying to do the best for their kid. So if they come in and decide that they want to do X, Y, or Z, or they feel that they want to talk about A, B, or C, you know, you've got to be in a situation that you've got to go back to your, 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 your vision of, and your, your mission of what you're there for. And you're there, you're there to help them with what they want to do. You know, so if I have a parent who thinks that, you know, X is Y and A is B, you know, my job might be to say, well, look, I don't agree with that, but I'm willing to help you to see that if you want to see that. And, and, and some parents will come and ask me and they'll take my advice and they'll say, that's a good comment. That's fair enough. And then other people will just go and do their own thing as well. So my job is not to get them around to my way of thinking. My job is to support their daughter's journey. And that takes, I suppose, with all the parents we've had over the years, that takes many different um, many different approaches in terms of you almost become like an actor in terms of you realize the correct approach for the correct parent at the correct wow. time. And yeah. you'll realize when is the time to disengage sometimes a little bit. Okay. And when is the time to have a strong word? And when is the time to say, look, just be honest and say, look, I cannot help you with that. Wow. Um, or I don't agree with that. So you take many of those different guises, but definitely I've got a bit better at it. Um, but the big thing for me is to try to keep the judgment out of it and try to make sure that just because Paul sees life like this and I see it like that doesn't mean Paul's wrong. I have to just enter that space and help the kid. That's the main thing. Yeah. Um, um, what's next, David? What are you going to do next? You've all this experience built up um, of the highest level. You've obviously your experience as a PGA professional working in clubs. You know, you're a young man. What, 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 what's, what's, what's next in the agenda? Uh, well, Paul, Paul, it was worth coming on alone to hear that I'm a young man because I tell you what I I got some lovely texts and some lovely messages from people congratulating me on my retirement and I said to uh it was Emily Murray's dad I said to well Richard I'll tell you what if I'm retiring here we're in for a few lean years in this house that's for sure um I think over the years I've done I've done a lot of work for the RNA and the and the CPG in terms of their development programs overseas in terms of their education programs for coaches in 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 countries that are just beginning to develop and begin to get their golf going. I've worked most recently probably in Ukraine. I've helped them with their strategy and their plan. Um, because my job with the union was always half. It was always 50% of my working time. So the plan is to ramp up the other 50% a little bit more, hopefully by the beginning of next year, and do a little bit more in coach education, a little bit of work with, I teach some, some nice players myself, um, privately both, uh, high handicap and low handicap that I enjoy working with and, and in some instances do some, some coaching trips with those guys as well. So enjoy that side of things and leaving a little bit of space for the unknown. I think that's the lovely thing about life is just to leave that little 20% Paul where 
it's okay to say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have all the answers, but I'm a great believer in, I'm, I'm quite a, a, a great believer in the spirit of allowing things to evolve and seeing what maybe comes onto my desk that I can maybe help somebody with. And like all relationships, I think, if it's a situation in that relationship where both parties and both sides feel they're getting the best part of that relationship, um, um, I think it's going to be a good relationship. So from our perspective speaking today, you might feel, well, look, it was great that David came on and I might feel well, it was great to be asked. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I think when you're involved in those type of relationships, I think you're in for a good time at work. And, and that's really what I'm looking for. David, thank you very much. All the best with whatever you do next. Um, and hopefully we'll get speaking soon. Pleasure, Paul. Lovely to talk to you and take care.